Hello, fellow dog-powered sports enthusiasts. This is Chelsea Murray, and you are listening to Positively Dog-Powered, a podcast that dives deep into the real world of positive reinforcement training and dog-powered sports. Hey, everybody. We are here for another episode of Positively Dog-Powered, and I've got a fun panel and a fun topic for you guys today. I'm super excited about this. So while the podcast does focus mostly on sled dog sports, training for it, and different ways that you can get engaged in the sport, we also talk about some of our cross-training and some of our additional training considerations that will help benefit our sled dogs. And today that's our topic. We're going to be talking all about adventure dogs and different activities that you can do with your dog. That's not only going to build them up as an athlete, but is also going to help fill that emotional cup that our dogs need to live good lives. So today on my panel, I have Maddie Spears and Becca Hayes, and we're going to be talking about adventure dogs. So before we get started today, do you guys mind introducing yourselves to our panel? Maddie, I'll have you get started first. Hi, I'm Maddie Spears. I'm a trainer with Chelsea at Positive Futures, and one of my greatest loves is the outdoors and exploring it, and I take any opportunity that I can to do it, and that means with my dogs too. Um, That's how I got into adventure dogs, and I am also a certified separation anxiety pro trainer, which is my main focus at Positive Futures. Awesome, and Becca? Hi, my name's Becca. Um, I've been a musher now for about eight years, um, and I got started with adventure dog training pretty early on in having dogs um, because I had gotten, you know, some huskies and lived in a small apartment, and they kind of change your lifestyle, and you have to start looking for ways to exercise them. And uh, we started going out and learning about all different things you could do outside with your dog um, and use their own instincts to, you know, come up with sports and fun things to do with them. Awesome. I think that's great that you mentioned I got Huskies and then, and then we started to go out to adventure because I think that's really true. Whether you are getting started in sled dog sports for the first time, or whether you are living with a pet dog and considering diving into sled dog sports. I think one of the main reasons we do that is like to keep our sanity, right? Like our dogs, no matter what breed they are, they have a lot of physical needs as well as uh, emotional needs. And we can fulfill a lot of those by going out and doing adventure dog sports with them. So let's talk a little bit about some of the benefits that you maybe have seen from dogs after you're able to get them out, kind of let them let loose in nature. Um, Maddie, I know you're really big into the enrichment side of things and keeping dogs needs met period, right? No matter what breed of dog they are. When you're working with your clients and even taking your own dogs out into nature, what are some of those benefits that you're seeing in our dogs by getting them out into, into nature? So for my first dog, she was a pit bull mix that I found on the side of the road and she was incredibly dog aggressive and getting her out really far out into nature was the only way that I was able to enjoy her and have a peaceful time with her. Um, and it meant that she could let her guard down a little bit. She wasn't scanning the environment constantly. And it really felt like one of the only times that she was truly able to live life rather than search for other dogs. 
Um, and so that was really important to us because it was really the only way that she would put her nose to the ground. It was the only way that she would dig and roll around and do all the fun things that dogs are supposed to do. Um, and then my setter introduced me to the fact that some dogs just need nature. They just need it. And much like I'm sure the Huskies that changed your life, Becca, it was just a huge night and day difference between a dog who didn't get walked all that often, didn't really see the outside. And then all of a sudden was able to run free for miles. I would walk about two miles. God knows how many he did all around me. Um, But realizing the difference in his behavior and his frustration tolerance, and even his ability to eat and sleep when he was able to run um, through nature and he got to pick what he wanted to do. If he wanted to swim, there were some opportunities for him to do that. If he wanted to chase birds, he could do that. He could roll around in the dirt, dig, do whatever he wanted. And he became a completely different dog. And it was obvious within a day or two of not getting his adventures that it was incredibly important to him. And with my clients, I just really like to emphasize that the freedom to express natural behaviors is one of the five freedoms of animal welfare for a reason. It's incredibly important to the mental well-being of dogs. And I think every single person that I've ever really pushed to get their dogs out into nature on a long line, off leash, whatever it may be, has seen a huge improvement in their dog's general temperament and ability to regulate their own emotions. I'm glad that you brought up um, express normal behaviors, because I think that when we think of dogs, especially like a lot of our clientele lives within the parameters of a city. So we've got a lot of traffic, a lot of buildings. Sometimes people are in apartments. And while yes, dog powered sports are a great outlet to get dogs out and about that normal daily walk through the neighborhood where the dog is on a six foot leash and generally kept moving with the human that's not really a form of exercise that is natural for dogs. And if we take them out in nature on a long line or off leash, if they have that ability, they choose to do different things than what we might expect. You know, they're not walking right next to our sides in a straight line. They're kind of zigzagging back and forth and going to sniff this and check out this and tracking an animal and running ahead and running behind, right? Their choice of what they want to do is very different. And once we start allowing them to experience that and get that outlet, we can see behavioral improvement at home as well. I mean, even down to basic things like food consumption and appetite, which you mentioned, that can be huge, especially, you know, in our teenager dogs that might start to come off food a little bit and not really have a great appetite or dogs that might be stressed, letting them kind of exert themselves in that very natural way can then improve just their quality of life at home. That kind of ability to express natural behaviors is something that I really noticed the difference in between my pit mix and my setter, because for a lot of my life with my pit, I was trying to exercise her. Like everyone, you know, reads online when they first get a dog, a tired dog is a good dog. And we were walking for literally marathon amounts of miles a day it was not really fun for either of us and it didn't work 
But even with her, when I started to realize, oh, I can just stand in the same half mile range and just let her mess around for 30 minutes rather than walking for three hours a day. And her entire behavior changed. And then my setter who had very different and much more complex exercise needs, I would say, than my kind of stereotypical couch potato of a bully mix. It was just night and day in what kind of benefits they were able to take from it and what they would choose to do when they had the freedom to explore nature themselves. When you have dog breeds specifically that you know are designed to be physical for hours and hours a day, going for leash walks and you know doing this kind of mindless activity is never going to wear them out so you know even I always tell owners if you can't go out for a hike with your dog go for a sniffy walk you know put a longer line on your dog and go out and let your dog sniff everything they they can get their nose on because it's going to be so much more mentally stimulating um, and and you're going to find a lot more of a tired dog that way Um, and with puppies specifically going out on adventures we always I get my puppies right out at eight weeks old and start taking them on you know controlled adventures and just let them be a dog Um, the amount of body awareness they develop from that is huge I I work with dogs that come to my house and can't walk on a slippery floor and it it kind of baffles me because my dogs can run across the slippery floor and go around a tight turn and not slip and fall Um, They can do stairs from a young age because they're outside climbing up and down on rocks and things like that. They learn how to use their bodies. So I think the benefits from that alone, I always say with your puppies, throw obedience out, throw it out in the beginning. Just let your dog go out and explore their own body and their own drives and kind of figure out the world around them. And besides the, you know, the enrichment of being out on an adventure, just building a dog up for a sport Um, or something they're going to be doing for the rest of their life you want their bodies to be able to handle that and that is the like baseline um, approach to that is just letting them build awareness our you know adventure activities that we do with our dogs obviously we can see physiological benefits and um, mental benefits to the dog but we also have that physical component you know there's nothing quite like getting out in nature on a long line no restrictions, ability to explore on their own, building confident with novelty, right? Building good body awareness and proprioception, learning how their body moves in space, being able to navigate obstacles. And all of that is going to improve their ability to be a dog safely. You know, a lot of our sports like sled dog sports require a lot of the dogs physically. But if from an early age, we can get them figuring out how to use their body, how to navigate obstacles and move, we're going to decrease the likelihood of injury later on because they're, they know where their body is at. I, I always like for people to think of, imagine, you know, your stereotypical teenager dog running around in the yard, their front end is running and it almost looks like their back end is just along for the ride, right? But that's a dog who doesn't know where their body is at and doesn't know how to move their body. But a lot of these adventure dog sports, even for our younger dogs, can be so beneficial. You know, they're low impact for them, so it's safe for them to do as growing puppies, but it can teach them about balance and teach them about strength and navigating obstacles. So it can be really beneficial in that way as well. So 
as our dogs are starting to wind down out of in season, I think that Becca, you could probably attest to the benefits as well. When we're no longer able to get those miles in harness, we've just built these crazy canine athletes and now it's too hot outside or it's too humid. We can't get them out. So kind of shifting gears from sled dog sports into adventure dog activities can be really beneficial as well in helping make sure that those needs are met and they're not all amped up and going crazy in the house or in the kennel. Yeah. So, I mean, adventure dogs, or when you say adventure dogs as like the kind of training that you do, it's, it's a lifestyle more than anything else. So there's no off season mushing. I would consider to be one of the, you know, minor parts of life for us. I mean, we're totally all in on it, but you know, I would say 90% of the year, we're doing all sorts of adventure dog things and beyond that kind of adventure lifestyle. But, you know, as the weather starts to kind of get warmer here in the spring, I'm already starting to go for hikes with them, off-leash hikes, um, starting to build them up for things like backpacking trips. Um, We will start, you know, conditioning with different equipment for things like canoeing and going out on the paddleboard. Um, so that when it gets really hot out, we have other things we can do. Um, my backyard, where my dog yard is, there's a, a gate that opens up in the back. And in the summer, they're actually trained that when it's hot out, if I open that gate, they can go to the pond and they can go swimming in the pond. Um, and it's like natural to them. They run to the pond, they do their laps and they'll, they'll actually be doing laps in the water. <laughs> and then they come running back into the yard because it's just their, you know, their fun for the day, run around the pond and get muddy and gross. And then they, you know, come back in. Um, so I don't think there's ever a transition, like a night and day transition from mushing to adventure dog. We kind of it's, it's kind of involves all parts of life for the dogs. And um, I do think it is super beneficial to mushing because when you get to fall, when things start to cool down, my dogs have already been conditioning all year round. They've already been in the heat. They have a lot more heat tolerance than they would if they, you know, just were hanging out in the yard and then started to have hookups. Um, they don't seem to have heat stress at all um, by fall. So it's, it's super beneficial from that standpoint. And again, going back to body awareness and conditioning, they are already, they can jump right into race training mileage because they've been training that mileage all summer, just in different ways. Their muscles are already ready to go. And, you know, mentally they're, they're not going to get worn out from something like that. They're just all just, they're all in already. (laughs) I love that comment on adventure dogs is a lifestyle because I think that's so true, especially for those of us that really like live and breathe adventures with our dogs. It's, it's just something that we do all year round. But I think it's also important to note that while that's something that we really live and breathe for, it's not something that we just grew up doing. At least I didn't, um, you know, I grew up around horses and with animals around me, but I certainly did not grow up biking and camping and paddle boarding and hiking. These were things that as I grew with my dogs and as our relationship grew, I started to get more and more into. So for both of you, was this something that, you know, your dogs kind of got you into and what did your transition look like? Cause I think a lot of the adventures that we talk about too, on this show can be really big and extreme, you know, like winter through hikes. And that's obviously not where we start when we talk about doing adventures. So, 
for you guys, was this something that your dogs got you into? And kind of how do you think that others could easily transition from maybe not doing much adventuring with their dog to kind of dipping their toes into it? For me, so I definitely did grow up hiking and camping and kayaking and doing all the adventurous things without dogs. And like I said, I found my first dog when I was camping. I was actually in the Everglades to look for snakes. Animals have always been a huge part of my life. And I just find nature really, really exciting. And so I will say that transitioning away from looking for venomous snakes to avoiding them profusely was um, a big transition when I started adventuring with my dogs. But I think, like I said, having a dog who wasn't super functional in my college campus everyday life was a really big push for me to get out camping, especially more often because it was easier to wake up in a tent in the middle of the woods than it was to go out and try and navigate, you know, the walk outside to a patch of grass that my dog could pee on. Um, and I think that that was a huge push for us. And I'm always looking for new things to do outside. I get bored super easily. Um, it was part of the reason that I enjoyed this weekend. Chelsea let me borrow her dog and her husband to pull us around on our bicycles. It was so much fun. And I just am always looking for new ways to get outside. And I'm already obsessed with the idea of doing that more. So when I discovered that my setter was was a dog that could go for miles and miles and miles, we started to really build up our mileage. It was so exciting. Did you find it challenging, you know, transitioning from human-centered excursions to then having to bring a dog into the mix? Because I know that both of your dogs in your life have been very different. And I would say maybe edge on the side of like a non-traditional dog, right? They both kind of whether they had some behavior concerns or, um, you know, really high drive, they both, both (laughs) right, right. They both had needs that were like a little different. So did you find it challenging to transition from going on an adventure where really it was just whatever you wanted to then having to reframe your mindset and maybe your expectations, then incorporating the dog into the mix? I think it was difficult, especially at first. my first dog meatball was a lot less heat tolerant and she did get better, but she was a black stub nose face kind of dog, um, in Florida and she couldn't keep up. I mean, I could happily hike 15 miles a day and she was maxing her out around four and we had to do it early in the morning and we had to choose shaded safe trails that were dog friendly, but not dog full. Um, And so that was really hard because it basically limited us to state forests, national forests, and places where other people don't want to be. And people don't want to be those places because they're not that exciting and they're not always that beautiful or that glamorous. So that was really hard for me was compromising all of the gorgeous attractions that we have here that are super busy and not exactly perfect for a dog like my dog. That was really hard for me. And getting out with my setter was a little bit more difficult for me because I also had to stay far off the beaten path with him because he would run right back to it. He would go two miles and meet everyone without me if I let him. So choosing those more secluded and more boring 
and safe places in Florida, because if you want to take a dog off leash in Florida, you have to avoid most water. Um, and I love the fresh water of Florida. So that was a, a big compromise for me, my dogs. Growing up, I mean, I came from a very outdoorsy family um, in a rural town. So we were always super active outside and hiking and things like that. But the dogs definitely kicked it up a gear um, because when I left, you know, my parents' house, moved into my own apartment, I kind of became a little bit more stagnant. Um, it, life was just kind of work and then go home and maybe go for a walk um, with the boyfriend at the time, um, my husband. <laughs> And um, when I brought home the first dog, who was Nova, she kind of, you know, those little walks became much longer walks. And I noticed a lot of changes in my own health and it was all positive. So everything kind of grew from there. Um, it, it almost became more of a need to do those things with my dogs, which is, you know, what went, what started with walks ended up becoming hikes and what became hikes soon became camping trips that were weekends long or hiking in the mountains. And we started setting goals and all of those goals were always based on, you know, what the dogs wanted to do. And, you know, I, I found raising my first Huskies that they were super driven to do obstacles Every time we went out and, you know, I had them on a leash, they wanted to jump over something. They wanted to jump over a ditch. They wanted to jump in the water. They wanted to climb up something. So, you know, it wasn't long before you we were hiking mountains and um, going on these long adventures where, you know, I had to start learning how to pack gear for me and the dogs and, you know, safety and all that kind of stuff. And it just kind of spiraled from there. And like we had already talked about, you know, seeing the benefits of this it started to resonate with me a lot. And, you know, it, it kind of grew my desire to kind of share that with other people because it, it changed the relationship that I had with both myself and the dogs. And it, it was positive all around for everybody. So I, I do think I kind of slowly worked my way into adventure dogs just with my own experience with it. Um, so, you know, I'm super happy with that and <laughs> I, uh, would like, you know, more people to get into it with their dogs for sure. So I try to, you know, educate and talk about what I do and share what I do. And, um, you know, our little catchphrase is unleash your untamed spirit. And, you know, it all revolves around those you know, first days with my dogs. I love that you brought up the benefits for you as a human too, because obviously I think anyone, Maddie's nodding her head. I think anybody that is into adventure dog things can really feel that, right? It's something that getting disconnected from the internet and screens and social media and really being able to just kind of live in the moment with your dog is really different. And I think that it also improves people's observation of their dog, which I think is really important. You know, when there's so many distracting stimuli around us as people, I think it can be hard for some people, especially people who are not trained in behavior to really pick up on small things with their dogs, but being able to get out where your entire world is the woods around you and the dog in front of you. I think it makes it easier to connect with your dog easier to kind of figure out what motivates your dog and excites your dog. And I think that all of that can have huge, huge impacts on your training with your dog as well. 
I think one thing that's important to bring up when we're talking about adventure dogs is that whenever going out on an adventure, I always like to press upon the importance of prioritizing the dog and the dog's needs. Because I think sometimes when we're going out, you know, even if we're just talking about people in the city taking their dog out to dinner, right, that could be something where they want to incorporate the dog with them. And for some dogs, it's really easy for them to just meld into that, into that lifestyle, into that experience. But for some dogs, it can be challenging. And so I think that kind of looking at your individual dog and evaluating what their needs might be might help you as an owner and as a trainer, then decide what adventures might be best to kind of start off with, or even like Maddie mentioned earlier, help you choose locations that might be helpful or beneficial for your dog. As you're coaching people, Maddie, how do you start to, you know, dial in on a specific dog, what their needs might be, and help an owner decide what adventures might be beneficial for their dogs? So I think the first two main things that I look at are what is the owner's situation like? Do we live in the middle of a city? Do we have access to campgrounds that are in the middle of nowhere? Are we somewhere in between? And of course, it helps to start with breed when you're looking at dog. When I hear pit mix or setter or anything in between, it gives you a bit of an idea of, okay, we might be looking to sniff, we might be looking to run, we might be looking to dig or to chase or whatever it may be. And that can really help. But like you said, I think getting out into nature is a really, really great way for people to learn how to observe and really understand their individual dog. And I think it's better to get out there and get started and then adjust your plans. Um, I always tell people that you have to start close to home. You don't want to plan a five-day trip and realize you and your dog both hate it and have to go home. I've made that mistake. It's not a fun mistake to make. So I think getting out there and seeing if your dog is comfortable on a kayak that might be moving a little bit or is, you know, enjoying running through tall grass or whatever it may be. I think that is the most important place to get started because we don't know what our dogs like in terms of adventures if they've only really lived their their life in the house or around the block. So sticking close to home maybe and kind of just observing your dog in those early outings to see what kind of what behaviors are trending and what behaviors they're choosing to engage in and then kind of building off that. Yeah, exactly what they're choosing to engage in and what they're not so happy about. I think that's really important. I wanted my pit to be a little kayaking dog so bad. Um, It was something that I was like sacrificing with her, which going back to what we were talking about earlier about getting into adventures and how our lives changed with it. I couldn't leave either of my dogs. Both of them had separation anxiety. My setter separation anxiety was extreme and my pit had separation anxiety. Plus I didn't really trust her to leave her alone. And so I lost all of my forms of exercise. I couldn't go kayaking. I couldn't go to the gym. I couldn't go for a run. Not that I ever went for a run before, (laughs) Um, but I couldn't do any independent exercise. And so my exercise became my adventures with my dogs. Um, And so getting your dog back into routines that you used to enjoy before you did them um, can be 
really beautiful for both of you, especially for people whose dogs need to come with them for whatever reason. Um, but I wanted her to be a kayaking dog so bad. I thought she would be so cute there. And I would finally have my cardio workout. I would get to be out on the ocean again. And she hated it. She did not want to be moving at all. She didn't like swimming, but I was like, well, you don't have to swim. She's still not okay with being in the middle of the water at all. And I'm glad that I rented a kayak to figure that out rather than going, well, she doesn't mind sitting and she likes to hang out with me and she likes where there's no dogs. So rather than jumping right in, I think just testing the waters of everything and really looking for how your dog responds is probably the best way to go. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the, what they don't like too. Cause I think that can be just as powerful in terms of kind of guiding our future adventures with them as looking at what they enjoy and trying to create more of that for them. And then looking at what they don't enjoy and trying to find adventures that decrease that. Because like you mentioned, while we might want to do this adventure of paddling or whatever it might be, that might not really be what our dog wants to do or what's really in their wheelhouse. So certainly having multiple dogs in the house, we could kind of pick and choose from that. But of course, if we're looking at trying to get out in nature with our dogs, we do want to make sure that it's an activity that everybody enjoys. Becca, you've got a lot of dogs in your house, and I'm sure that even though they're all the same breed, there's a lot of personality differences between them. How do you look at your own dogs and try to figure out which adventures might be best and kind of cater to each dog, giving them, you know, those nice outlets that each individual needs? So every dog is an individual. Every single one of my dogs likes something different for the most part. And, you know, everything that Maddie was saying really you know, I agree with so much and her, her story about wanting a kayak dog. I, one of my younger Huskies right now, I really wanted her to be a kayak dog. And she just, she's a very confident dog. She loves going on adventures. She's off leash trained, but she'll ride the kayak or the paddleboard, but you can tell she doesn't actually like it. She's just doing it for me. And that's not the kind of relationship I want to have with my dog where they just have to do everything. Um, I want them to be able to pick the things that make them the most happy. But each dog has their own thing that kind of makes them tick in the off season specifically. And it's just like mushing too, is not every dog wants to pull. Not every dog wants to race. So finding something that really, you know, keeps them happy and motivated is super important. And, um, so I've got several dogs from breeders. I have a rescue and I have two dogs kind of from just a pet breeder kind of situation. And specifically the age in which you bring a dog into your home can change a lot of things too, because you don't know the kind of training that they had beforehand or any bad experiences they may have had um, that might change you know the way they look at the world and my rescue is reactive she's reactive about their dogs so where you know she loves going on adventures she loves going on hikes and backpacking and all those kind of things if we run into another dog it quickly becomes not fun for her or for us so we don't take her to public trails anymore. We don't take her to the Adirondacks to go mountain hiking because it's all turns into a management exercise instead of a fun exercise. So recognizing something like that in your dog is so important because it, it, the benefits aren't there if your dog is worried the whole time. 
So she, you know, she's kind of more of a homebody. We stick close to home places where I know we're not going to run into other dogs or, you know, we pick a different game. She loves to do barn hunt and things like that. So, you know, we found something else for her that she really enjoys. Um, but each dog I would say has their own thing. And I kind of, once I, once I realize what that thing is, I try to specifically spend time on it and make that a big part of their life. Um, I have several that are really good off leash and several that really like water. And those dogs are my Creek dogs. We go Creek walking, we go kayaking, canoeing, paddling, paddle boarding. And, you know, those are their things. And we kind of focus on that all year and in turn, it kind of builds their drive for that too. Um, I have dogs that really kind of, they kind of get a rush out of working. Um, the more you ask them to do, the more like really into it they are. So backpacking with packs was their thing. You know, they love to be on the trails, but they love it even more when they get to work on the trails. So, you know, I kind of, that became their training exercises. We're going to go out and train on the trail and, you know, identifying those things kind of, it, it takes time. And, you know, you, you learn a lot just from doing small little doses of adventures, you know, not kind of diving all in and, you know, going for, going for a mountain summit just to see if it works out. Like it's so not good and not safe to do those kind of things. So, you know, especially with like your young puppies, when you bring them home, like just small doses of adventures and you're going to learn a lot about each dog pretty quick. I'm really glad you brought up your story about your reactive dog and how going to busier trails is not something that's really going to be beneficial for you or the dog, because in that circumstance, we're not getting those relaxing, decompressing enrichment moments anymore, right? Then we're dealing with stress for the dog. And I think that that can also kind of reflect uh, something from us humans is that we always need to make sure that we're checking our mindset before we walk out the door too, because some days you might say, Hey, this is a mildly busy trail. You know, we're going to encounter some people, but today I've got the energy to be proactive and manage the dog and really keep an eye on our surroundings. And some days you might not really have the energy or desire to do that. So I think too, that checking in with yourself as a human and saying, what can I really handle today? You know, if you're a little stressed out and you're needing that extra decompression, you might choose to leave some of the dogs at home. And I know a lot of people might have feelings about that, about leaving certain dogs in our household home and only taking a couple out. But I think that that can be really beneficial too, in terms of building your relationship one-on-one -on -one with that dog. So even though I live in a multi-dog household, all of my adventures do not include all of my dogs. And that's totally okay. That's totally a good thing to do to have that one-on-one -on -one time. I think something else we have to talk about too, when we're talking about our adventures is that depending on what kind of adventure we're seeking with our dogs, there probably are some foundation skills that we need to have for us as a handler and for our dogs. Maddie, I know you're really, and Becca too, I know you both are really big on off-leash adventures and being able to have our dogs off-leash. But I think that for many people, the amount of time that they're willing to put into training and the level of proficiency of a recall that they might be able to achieve, or even the individual temperament and personality of that dog 
might yield off-leash training unrealistic for them. So if we're starting from the very foundations with a dog that doesn't yet have those skills, and we're talking more about long line adventures on the trails with our dogs, what kind of foundation skills do you think are important for both the human and for the dog to have before heading out into the woods? So I want to start by saying I am aggressively for off-leash time, but I completely understand. And I've had my own dog who never, ever, ever got a free moment of true freedom off-leash. And I would not go back and change that. Something probably really bad would have happened if I did. Um, And I also had a dog who by far the benefits of putting in the work up front to recall train him allowed us to reap the benefits of a dog who was calm and honestly I would have had to do so much more training in the house if he wasn't able to have that outlet than I would have had to do outside to form a safe enough recall that we could do all of our off-leash stuff um so weighing those benefits is super duper important um I think when it comes to long line skills first of all you as a human need to develop patience as a skill and we probably work out a little bit. Um, we were talking about this the other day. It is hard if you have a dog who pulls and it is not safe for you to have a dog who pulls and lunges like crazy at the end of a long line. If you don't know what you're doing and are physically strong enough to hold a dog of whatever size is on the end of your leash. So you need to think about that. Um, especially if you're going into environments that have prey or super exciting things that you're going to be pulled in a way that you might not on like a 10 foot leash walking down the suburban streets. Um, And I personally think that weave and come back is just as important off leash as it is on a long line or no, sorry. I think that Teaching a dog how to weave and avoid things as well as come back to you is just as important on a long line as it is off leash. Um, I need a dog to come back to me when they're 40 feet away or 15 feet away, depending on how long your long line is, just as much as I do when they're 250 feet away off leash. It's still something that's absolutely non-negotiable for me when it comes to safety, especially when you live in Florida. Uh, for just to start when I, when somebody approaches me and says they want to learn how to do off leash work with their dog, I ask a lot of questions first, because I don't want somebody who kind of wants to take their dog off leash and then do it wrong. Um, because I, I do find that in my location, about 80% of people that say they want to do off leash work are not willing to put in the foundational work. And to me, it's, it's worrisome. I don't want to set up a dog to fail or for something really bad to happen to that dog. So I do, you know, I, I really kind of question, you know, the intentions as well as, you know, what kind of time are you willing to put in um, before I, you know, kind of go into the basics of foundation work for off-leash training. But it all starts, from what I do at least, it all starts in the house. So if your dog can't recall from the other side of your house, your dog absolutely cannot (laughs) recall outside. (laughs) So unless your dog is 100% of the time recalling in your house, you shouldn't even consider recall work outside with the leash on. 
because it's all about repetition and practice and you know you want that reliable problem solving is I guess the best way to put it is if your dog can't really happily come running to you in the house for a piece of food they're definitely not going to come to you when they see a squirrel <laughs> and you know just like Maddie said that just because a dog's on a long line doesn't mean it's safe you know, dogs get legs wrapped up and then they run and they hit the end of that line and they can get severely injured or they can severely injure a person or another dog or, you know, who knows, just even just pulling so hard that the leash gets ripped from your hands. Um, I have pretty good rope burn right now on my hands from a situation like that. So, <laughs> so it's all, you know, foundationally speaking, you know, that conditioning of when I say your name, you get a reward. And just constantly reinforcing that even in the house, outside of the house, on a leash, in a store, it, it's something that never ends when it comes to adventure dog training. There's never a, there's never a, oh, you've graduated. You don't have to do that anymore. Your dog's just going to recall. You should always reward your dogs for coming back. It should always be exciting. And one of the other foundational things I do, even before we head outside, is I teach an emergency recall. So besides just having a, you know, I say your name, you come to me, I teach a whistle and I start in the house. If they hear that whistle, they get something above and beyond delicious, like a pizza crust or a piece of steak, <laughs> something that they don't normally get when they're, tr when they're trick training. So that if they're, and they don't hear it very often, they only hear that, you know, maybe, you know, once a session or, you know, once a week as you go, as time goes on. And you have to commit to that emergency recall. You have to have something with you that you can give them because they're going to remember it. And then when they're out, you know, practicing on a long line and you, and you use that emergency recall, the chances of that dog immediately coming to you are so much higher because they've had such a high value reward in the past. And it gives you that second chance. If your dog doesn't listen for whatever they see that they want. If they, if they follow that temptation, you still have that extra trick up your sleeve with that emergency recall. And I, I mean, I have dogs that have motivators that aren't food motivators. I have dogs that really like doing stunts, like trick training stunts. I have a dog that loves to jump over my back. So I've actually trained when you hear that whistle come running so you can jump over my back and then get the treat. <laughs> And it's worked really good. I've had a dog run out my front door before. Um, and I didn't, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. They just ran out my front door and I used that emergency whistle and came right back just to jump over my back. <laughs> so from a foundation standpoint, I just think it's really important to work on those things indoors first until it's as proved as possible before even thinking about graduating to a six foot leash, let alone a 40 foot leash, and then eventually no leash. Yeah, I think those baby steps are really important for both the human and for the dog, right? I think oftentimes when we talk about building something like recall and we think about how advanced it can be, we think about splitting it down into as many little pieces as possible. Like Becca mentioned, starting in the house, right? In the living room, slowly working on outside, slowly increasing those distractions. And I think that sometimes too, as people, we forget that this idea of splitting and breaking things down into small pieces applies to us as people too, right? Like if you're not super savvy with a long line or you're not really super savvy with adventures on the human side of things, 
you know, you've got some learning that you have to do too. And it can be really hard when both parties, the dog and the human are learning at the same time together. So be patient with yourself, take things really nice and slow. I think the one other thing that I would add to that on that idea in regards to long lines is make sure that you have the skills to handle it. I, I often find when I'm working with people, you know, we work on using the tool by itself first before we, you know, bring the dog into the mix. Cause when you have a wild and silly dog that doesn't know what they're doing at the end of a long line, that adds a lot of distraction for you as a human, that adds a lot of complications. So even practicing winding your lead up and then letting some loops go and winding it back up just as a human skill can be really beneficial to keep it off the ground and prevent tangles and, you know, starting with a 10 foot and then 15 and then 20 and slowly building up in that regard too. I would also add that just because your dog is on a long line does not mean we should rely on that long line to keep our dog safe, right? Our just like having a dog in our fenced backyard doesn't mean that our dog can come when pulled, right? That leash is really just a management for the dog to prevent them from potentially running away. But your dog needs to learn how to walk on a loose long line. Your dog needs to learn how to check in on their own or even how to be asked to check in. So there's a lot of skills that can go into these. And I think that just remembering to be patient with yourself, be patient with your dog and start small. And once you can accomplish one layer of it, then add a little more, you know, but make sure that you keep those adventures small so that both you and the dog can really reap all of those benefits from them instead of going out and, you know, the event resulting in a lot of frustration and stress for both of you. I think that check-ins are such a huge, important part of adventure skills, whether that's on the long line, off leash, or even on a short leash. Um, And I think they get forgotten a lot when people are mostly using long lines. I know I never really thought about check-ins until I had a dog who was fully off leash. And I realized, yeah, he'll come back if I call, but in between recalls, not really. (laughs) I don't really have any control. And as soon as I realized that I started feeding the crap out of him. Every time he looked at me, every time an ear flicked towards me, high value food all the time. And obviously if you're not in a situation where you're kind of working backwards to fix a problem, like I was, it doesn't necessarily need to be that urgent or that high value, but check-ins are huge. And you want a dog who is able to go out and reap all the benefits of having that freedom to do whatever they want, but is still kind of always one ear, one eye on you. And check-ins are such a huge way to do that. Um, And I think it can be a problem when you're using a long line as a step to off-leash time, because when you unclip the leash, all of a sudden your dog does come back, but in between that, you don't have control. So if you're using a long line as a stepping stone, just remember that like you said, it should be more of a a management tool, a safety barrier, rather than what's keeping your dog near you and engaged with you. That's huge. I, yeah, absolutely. Check-ins 100%. And remember too, that if your goal is ultimately to build off-leash reliability and off-leash recall, you know, your long line and all the training skills you're putting in with that long line attached 
are part of your foundation, right? That's what can help set you up for the ability to then be able to have your dog off leash in the future. So treat it like that, right? Reward that good behavior. Oftentimes when I'm going out on the trail, you know, what I might consider high value at home is not necessarily what I'll bring out on the trail because I think, you know, stuffing fresh chicken and cheese into your pocket and going for a hike is not super appealing. So play around with treat value as well and make sure that you've got something that your dog will take when you're both in the house and outside of the house as a high value reward, because you want to be rewarding all of these behaviors from your dog. You know, I think that that's one challenge that we can encounter when we're thinking of more freedom and ability to explore is that we think, okay, if I train some behaviors in a, you know, quiet, sterile environment, then I can just take them on the road. Right. But as we know, that's not necessarily the case. And dogs take a while to generalize all of these behaviors like attention and check-ins and recall and staying close and moving on a loose leash. And so having a treat value that you can use easily when you're out adventuring is super important for you and for the dog. When you are going out with your dogs, um, I think one thing that can come up a lot when we think about our sled dog sports is that I generally consider them a higher arousal activity. Dogs that really, really love it. When you get them in harness and you hook them up, they're like so ready to go, right? They're real jacked up. And generally speaking for me, when I think about my adventure dog stuff, I generally think of them as lower impact, lower arousal. And both of these activities are high arousal and or low arousal can result in a dog that is really satisfied and fulfilled. But I think that we need to be very mindful when looking at our dogs after an activity to determine whether or not that activity was enjoyable. You know, oftentimes from a professional trainer standpoint, you know, if we see people that are taking their dogs out on a four or six foot leash walk in the neighborhood, we often hear a complaint that the dog might redirect on them, jumping, mouthing, Um, you know, they come home and they just don't seem relaxed, right? And that might indicate to us that that activity was stressful. It could indicate to us that that activity didn't achieve the desire of relaxation, right? The dog is not able to decompress after an activity. So as we're looking at our activities like hiking and paddling and swimming that do give the dog a lot of exercise, right? How do we look at the dog and determine whether or not that dog's needs are met? How do we know if that activity was good for them based on observing the dog afterwards? When I bring my dogs home from any kind of adventure, even mushing, you know, I want to see a dog that's nice and relaxed, but still happy and kind of ready to go. Always. Um, They shouldn't be sore. They shouldn't be exhausted, but they should seem, they should have that, that appearance of a fulfilled, happy animal where they can just come home and kind of just relax with us and, you know, be content. Um, if my dog comes home and they're super over aroused, it, it, I would think that, you know, something was lacking. Um, but also like, I don't run into that very often, which just goes to show you when you go on an adventure with your dog, it's pretty hard for them not to get, you know, some mental stimulation, um, to help them kind of, you know, come down. But 
but the biggest thing for me is, you know, if my dog is acting totally exhausted, I, I went too far. I don't want that. I want them always to be ready to kind of do whatever we, you know, want to do. So, um, and that comes from the mushing standpoint that, you know, training a dog to be a racing dog is, you know, always finish on a good note, always finish with the dog that wants to keep going because then you know that they're happy doing what they're doing. I think it's a really great point that you should always end on a high note and where you want the dog to want more um, rather than be too worn out by whatever you did to want to continue. Um, that is something that I, like you said, I don't really see too much over arousal in my dogs after adventures. Um, maybe because I just happened to have picked the right ones. Um, I also tend to encourage people to start with hiking because it's pretty simple. It doesn't usually require too much training, especially um, because if your dog isn't up to training that helps off-leash hikes, you can just use a long line. Um, although I will say that is one of the two times that I really experienced that like kind of frustrated over arousal after adventures with my setter was on longline hikes and we have some really vast like rentable parks out here um sort of sniff spot style and they're very bare which we don't usually have bare land and I thought that he would like it to run around and if I didn't feel like going on a hike that day or whatever I thought that it would be a good idea but I think both of those activities were really frustrating because they they left something to be desired so he wanted to find things chase them and just run but in those vast parks there's nothing to chase there's nothing to find there's like maybe some squirrels and he would spend 15 minutes barking at the tree with a squirrel and not really focusing on anything else and not really having the chance to really perform a range of behaviors and of all dogs I've ever met he really did not like the long line I think it was almost like a, a taste of freedom, like a tease for him. And it was just so frustrating because he was like, well, I'm, I'm all the way out here, but I, I can't actually go where I want to go. And so it, it always felt like a battle and we would come home and he would be like really mouthy, kind of bouncing off the walls still. And I was like, oh my God, you're so frustrating. You've completely exhausted me today. I did all this trying to help you. And he was like, it wasn't enough. So that is a sign there. But I like the idea of hiking generally for most dogs because I do think that it's a way that even when they are limited, most of them don't respond to long lines like that, especially if you've really worked on appropriate behaviors from both you and the dog on either end of the long line. But yeah, I think looking for a relaxed dog who isn't super needy for the rest of the day, regardless of that would what that would look like for them. And also like Becca said, a dog who isn't sore, that was a big learning curve for me going from a dog who I knew could only do a couple miles to a dog who some days could do 10, but maybe the next day, if they did 10, he could only do two or three the next day. Um, and learning to see what pain looked like in him, that kind of vague, like, I'm not going to yelp about it, but I'd rather not run that far the next day. That's really important. And I think it looks different in every dog. So just another example of getting out there and doing it and observing your dog being really helpful. Yeah, that's really good. You know, I think too that 
a lot of the talking we've been doing today about adventures and getting out with our dogs are activities where we're focusing on the dog, focusing on the dog's needs, giving them opportunities to rehearse what we would call normal dog behaviors, right? Just letting them be dogs. But I think it's also important to bring up that some of our adventure activities might not be perfect examples of letting our dogs be dogs, right? I know Becca does a lot of paddling with her dogs. I do a lot of paddling with my dogs. Sitting really still on the water in a boat or on a board, that's not really a normal dog activity. But I think that with some training, a lot of dogs can really learn to enjoy it, right? I also think that when we're looking at those activities that might not be, quote, as normal for the dogs, we're doing our best to incorporate a lot of white, what might be normal for the dogs. So, you know, when we go out paddling, we spend a little time on the water. We give a lot of breaks for swimming if they want. We give a lot of breaks for free running. If it's not an environment that's conducive to off-leash running and play, you know, we might choose to do a hike before we go out on the water to kind of help meet the dog's needs before we get out an adventure. Becca, when you're going out with your dogs on water, are there other ways, especially for maybe our younger dogs, right, that might have higher frustration and lower tolerances for stillness? Are there other ways that you help set those dogs up for success in those activities that might be a little less, you know, normal for the dogs? Yeah, so I, I think it's important, um, you know, huskies are super, super prey driven. So you can almost expect if you go kayaking in some kind of waterway with your dog, you're going to see something that they want, like a bird or some kind of critter. Um, but I have found that if you do some sort of outlet type activity beforehand, helps kind of cut the edge off of that, you know, super exciting, you know, beginning of an event that you're doing. Um, so when I first get them started, I usually will go for a hike first. Nothing substantial, but just just enough of a hike that it gives them a little bit of an energy release, um, a little mental stimulation, and then you know start slow. Try to find a body of water that's safe. Um, don't don't you know pack up and go to a stream that's moving water with animals all around. Like set yourself up for success. Um, but I it. For my, in my particular experience, I won't actually start kayaking or paddleboarding with a dog until I know they have reliable recall, because inevitably you're going to get wet. You're going to go swimming. <laughs> and, you know, one thing that I actually find works really well is, you know, if a dog jumps out of a boat after something, sometimes it startles them. And, you know, the next time around, they're just like, no, no, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> so like expect to get wet because it's not always a bad thing. Like you want your dogs to learn from what they're doing. You want them to be able to problem solve like that. You know, and it's when a dog learns that, you know, if you lean over too far, the boat might tip a little bit, you know, it's a good reinforcer. <laughs> Um, but of course, you know, you're not trying to scare your dog. You're just, you know, you want them to understand how the, you know, the vessel works, you know, that, you know, you have to balance in order to, you know, keep everything stable. It's that temptation of, you know, things that they could run into 
that's going to be your biggest problem is, you know, especially with a prey driven dog or a dog that gets super excited about people or excited about dogs, that they're going to be really driven to get to that thing. So before you ever enter a boat, you have to work on those skills, not in a boat. <laughs> that's kind of just as simple as that, but just always realizing that it's never going to be perfect. You know, you can't be mad when your dog makes a poor decision because they're dogs. They, their instinct tells them to do things. And the most important thing is, you know, how to, you know, move forward from that safely to get them, you know, back to you or to, you know, get to the shore so that you can, you know, empty your kayak out. Um, and also just like being prepared for those things, having safety equipment, knowing how to handle the boat. Um, if you were to, you know, spill your kayak, you know, do you know how to get out of your kayak? Do you know how to get your kayak to the shore and get the water out safely? And all these things, you know, while all those things are happening, your dog has to understand what's going on and, you know, know how to handle the situation. Yeah, I think that's huge for any dog adventure is as much as you can, right? We can never prepare for every circumstance we're going to be in, but kind of having an idea of, okay, this, this, or this could happen. What, what's my game plan in that situation? Because if something unexpected does happen and we just panic, our brains aren't really working. We're not able to kind of formulate a plan in the moment. So whenever heading out for a new adventure, try to think about some of those things ahead of time so that you can then act in the moment and, you know, be kind to your dogs instead of panicking and freaking out. So there's a lot of tips in this podcast to help people evaluate what activities might be good for their dogs, start thinking about some of the human skills and dog skills that might be needed. Are there any other tips that you guys would give to somebody who's looking to go out on adventures or maybe even take their adventures up to the next notch with their dogs? I think you guys just kind of mentioned something that's really important is preparing for those emergencies. And obviously there's like many paddle sport specific emergencies that you don't usually have to worry about if you're hiking or camping or whatever, hopefully your boat won't tip over in those circumstances, but your dogs are going to get stung by things. Your dogs are going to chase animals. Your dogs are going to step on things that hurt and get cut. And they're outdoors, just like we do when we go hiking. All of these things happen. And like you said, being prepared for emergencies mentally is really important so that you can be on it and not have to think of a plan and through a plan at the same time. But cooperative care is something that's super, super important to me before I head out on trail, because when my setter sees something in the air flying by and goes for it, because that's what a stupid bird dog brain tells him to do, and it turns out to be a black wasp of some sort, I know, okay, he will let me grab his face if I ask for a chin rest, and I can check it out without getting bit, or with my spicier pit mix. I know how to muzzle her and she will agree to that. And then I can look at her face. Things like that are really, really important. Or I need to be able to look at a dog's paws before we get out on a trail, especially here. There's burrs, there's sand burrs. There's all kinds of terrifying things that you can step on. And I need to be able to see what's going on with your paws. I think that's super important and kind of underrated because it's kind of simple enough to get out and start hiking with your dog. 
but you're going to come across an emergency one day where you have to know what to do and where your dog has to let you do what you need to do. So cooperative care is something that I think is super important in these situations. That's really huge. I'm glad you brought that up. That's something we haven't talked about yet. I would say the biggest thing is before you do any of these adventure things with your dog, try doing these things without your dog first, just so you make sure you know one that you can physically handle it and that you understand what you're doing. Um, you know, that, like you said, with the equipment that you need for hiking with your dog, learning that before you actually put the dog in the mix, super important. And also, you know, get involved with clubs um, for those activities, whether or not they involve dogs, you should still try to get involved with people that know those activities and how to safely do them so that, you know, you can get a lot of good information and, you know, help getting started, especially paddle sports. You know, you should really talk to a kayak club if you've never done it so that you, you know, you have people you can turn to for advice just on handling your boat yourself. Um, but hiking organizations, uh, things like that, and find, find a dog trainer that, you know, has a strong interest in doing things outside with dogs, because they're going to give you a lot of advice to prevent, you know, frustration and handler error. Um, that's kind of the biggest thing is you want to keep it fun. You want to reward them for everything. And, you know, you want to have some kind of knowledge yourself um, and you gain that from other people on how to handle certain situations that you might run into. Perfect. I think that's great. The one tip I think that I would add into the mix there, in addition to what you guys mentioned is I really like to have a medical emergency game plan. Um, certainly as a human who has health issues, uh, including anaphylaxis to things out in nature, you know, having a game plan in place for myself with, you know, I've got, a a Garmin phone that will connect the satellite. So if we don't have connectivity, I can call and text for help. Having tags on the dog's crates that have vaccine information and, you know, veterinarians that take care of my dogs and any health issues they have, emergency contacts for them, just in case something happened on the road while we're driving to one of our adventures, you know, and then speaking with whoever you are going out with about emergency game plans for yourself or for your dog. My friends lovingly, I hope, always call me camp counselor um, because I'm always wanting to make sure that everybody is there is safe because if we're safe, we can all have a good time, you know, and we always go out with the best of intentions, with the most preparedness that we can have to make sure that nothing bad happens. But we always want to have a game plan in place for those unexpected moments ahead of time. Because in an actual emergency, it's too late. It's too late to come up with those. The other thing that I will always do is if I'm out of town and in some capacity, you know, not near my local veterinary team and my local emergency vets, I will look up local medical care in the area so that if something were to happen on the trail, I know the closest place I can go to to get my dog to you know, and I'll screenshot on my phone ahead of time. So I've got addresses and phone numbers. And again, knowing that I've got that game plan in place really does alleviate a lot of stress for you as well, because again, you've got that game plan already written out for yourself and for your dog so that you guys can just go out and have a good time. That's what these are about. Adventures are supposed to be just about having a good time. 
I think there's something about the adrenaline of adventuring, especially with your dogs, especially once things really start to click. That's so addicting and so fun, but don't get caught up in it, especially I assume that most of your listeners, Chelsea, are probably young to middle-aged women who are doing things with their dogs. That's usually my target audience. Don't, don't be stupid and don't let that like, oh my God, this is so awesome. Like I'm incredible feeling get to your head. Like you said, having all those safety plans in place pre-made is so important. And remember that your dog is a deterrent, but they're not actually protecting you. Stay safe and listen to your gut. And I think like what you said, having those emergency medical plans in place is really, really important because you don't want to be driving to the nearest place and finding it at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Finding a trainer that enjoys the things that you want to do. And if you want to get outside with your dogs, it's really best to learn from somebody that knows both the adventure component and the dog component, right? Because piecing those both together, um, certainly if somebody knows dogs and has done these things, you kind of know the skills that your dog needs to learn. And I think that, you know, today we talked a lot about learning little lessons along the way. And obviously with years of experience for both dogs and adventures, you've got that skill set there. I know that you're going to be offering an upcoming webinar. It's going to be recorded. So it's a nice low cost opportunity for people to learn from somebody who knows their stuff a little bit about adventures and some of the skills that they need. So Maddie, do you mind sharing a little bit about some of the content that people might expect from this webinar and some of the takeaways that they'll be able to walk away with? Yeah, so Happy Campers is going to focus on the basic foundations of getting out into nature with your dogs. It's not going to be super intensive hiking, backpacking, paddling, either direction, just focusing on learning what to bring. Um, I think you just heard a little bit that packing less than you need is usually the way to go. Um, So we'll be going over the real essentials of things that will keep you comfortable, safe, happy, and highly visible. I think that's a really important thing when you're getting out there with your dogs. Um, And then we'll talk about some skills that make it easy to camp with your dogs or to stay still with your dogs outside, which is really hard for a lot of dogs. It's hard for a lot of people. So that will be a lot of campsite management, like stationing, like backing up from the fire, which in my research for seeing what people would be interested in, I found people mostly have campfires when they camp outside of Florida. So I'm jealous. Um, And then we'll be going over trail manners and trail skills. Um, So obviously we're gonna be talking about recalling check-ins because that's gonna be the foundation to all of these adventures, but also how to be respectful of other people and other dogs and the environment when you're on a trail. Um, So how to know when you need to call your dog off a trail, how to know when to scoot over to the side, how to know when to leash up for a good section of the trail. Um, And then we'll be getting into what it's like to actually get out there and what we can do when we're faced with nature. So when we are in dangerous waters, when we are facing wildlife like bees and snakes and bears and all kinds of things that you don't want to 
let your dog go near and the skills that it takes to handle emergencies. And like I was saying, I really do think cooperative care is so important. So we'll be talking about how to prepare your dog for having their bodies touched and checked out on the trail so that we can make sure that we're keeping them safe. Awesome. Thank you so much, Maddie. For anybody who might be interested in the Happy Campers webinar, we will drop a link in the show notes here so that you can grab it and do a little learning on your own time. I hope that everybody enjoyed this episode and we'll see you on the next show. So until next time, have fun chasing tails on the trails.